This is Somewhat About Wine, an inside perspective of the operations of a small Sierra Foothill winery and the characters who run it. It's five o'clock. As usual, Jordan, Nick, David, Morrison that is, and owner David Gerard are hanging out over an after-hours glass of wine. Though their conversation is about wine, it bounces around between philosophy, music, education, small successes, big mistakes, life in general, cabbages and kings and more. Glad you could join us. Yes, this is Somewhat About Wine from David Gerard Vineyards. It's December 23rd and it's 5 o'clock. It's the end of our workday, more or less, and in fact it's the closing of our work year in just a couple of more days. But it's not the end of our work week. We are open for wine tastings every Friday and Saturday and Sunday. Come visit us sometime when you have the chance. Thanks for joining us today. I'm here with Nick Gauger. Good afternoon, Nick. Hello. Good afternoon, David. Nick is our assistant winemaker. And we have a special guest today, Peter Berktold. Uh, good afternoon, Peter. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. We are drinking a glass of Cote Blanc today. This is a wonderful uh, wine. It's uh, field blended and co-fermented, and it is made up of uh, some five different varietals. Nick, uh, can you tick them off for us? Yeah, just about everything that we do have here on the vineyard. So it's a blend of Roussan, Marsan, Grenache Blanc, Vermentino, and Viognier. Those are the five that go into making this wine. Cote Blanc uh, pairs very well uh, with uh, what I'm going to guess is what some of you will be having for your Christmas dinner, which is baked ham. Um, and uh, among, uh, uh, among wines, Cote Blanc is a, is a great wine for, for ham. Other, other wines that pair well with baked ham are Rosé, Viognier, Roussan, and Grenache as well. So, so you have some choices. Um, how's the vineyard looking, Nick? Uh, good. It's starting to uh, look pretty dormant out there, so we'll be back to pruning. Um, January, February, but it's always kind of nice to have this little break in between harvest and... Uh, the craziness that is pruning so yeah and it was a great harvest this year so. we've just finished our uh, our annual christmas concert uh we had a great turnout and and uh, uh thank you thanks to all of you who came uh the concert is, as you know if you were here or if you heard about it uh, we have the sacramento opera chorus in to sing traditional christmas carols and we had a second feature this year which we hadn't had before we had a, a band uh, they call themselves uh, um, the chauffeurs. Uh, they're from the Bay Area. And the reason they call themselves the chauffeurs is because that's all they do all the time is chauffeur the kids around. But uh, they have got gotten together and, and put together a nice band. And they also joined in, in providing us with a, a nice repertoire of, of Christmas carols. And then um, we had a, a hot dog food truck here. Um, and uh, just uh, Santa Claus and an and elf, uh, his elf, Santa Claus's elf. Uh, it was nice to see so many children here this year. We also had a tram ride for the children uh, where we took them down the hill on the tram and had hot chocolate and cookies. Uh, all in all, it was, it was just a, a, a great pleasure for us. So thank all of you for, for coming. Let me tell you a little bit about our special guest, Peter. Peter's uh, father was a, a professor, Max Berktold. Um, and he was a renowned mechanical engineer who taught at ETH Zurich, one of the great global universities. He, he held patterns for developing a number of, of 
special applications in the turbine engine area. One was an accumulator nozzle fuel injection system, and another was uh, something called varying uh, the pressure levels of a closed-cycle gas turbine plant. Uh, and I'm going to read you just a little something from his patent application just to give you an idea what, how much we don't know. So I'm going to read this. I'll put on my glasses because the print is so small you can't believe it. But his patent application um, says, uh, there is an advantageous possibility of varying the power output of a closed-cycle gas turbine plant, uh, which consists in known manner in varying the pressure level in the circuit, gaseous working medium being introduced into the circuit from the outside for increasing the power output, and working medium being withdrawn from the circuit to reducing the power output. In such a gas turbine plant, helium is used as a working medium, for example, which is found to be particularly favorable in connection with gas-cooled atomic nuclear reactors. So I guess, Peter, the first question I'd ask you is, is did you ever talk to your father about any of these things? He was, uh, he was very quiet about his work unless somebody was in the room that knew a lot about what he was doing or you know, a lot about the subject matter. To me, uh, he didn't really start talking about his work till, till he was fairly old mm. uh, and, and long retired. Although he worked, he worked till till the day he died. He worked in the hospital, being sick with cancer, and he he was still working. But wow. he talked. He, he at home, he didn't really talk much about work. He he worked nonstop, though he never never stopped working, even even when he was home. You know, though, I, I think there was something to that, and I'm thinking back to my childhood, is parents just didn't talk about their work in those days. Um, it was a different era and a different, uh, a different uh, um, landscape. Um, did, did, did you ever have plans um, to think that's something you'd want to do one day and follow in your father's footsteps? Well, so my father was quite a bit older. Um, he, when he had me, he was 42 years old. Um, so he was from a different generation. And so we had, his expectation was ever since I was born that I was obviously going to be a mechanical engineer mm -hmm. because that was the only profession there was. <laughs> He was happy doing what he was doing. His father and his brothers were all mechanical engineers. Um, so it was just, nobody asked me what I wanted to do. It was just said, you are going to be a mechanical engineer. But you are not. You're an architect. Well, so I started in, I started in mechanical engineering. Um, I, I did two years of mechanical engineering. And I'm a very visual person, obviously. That's why architecture is a, is a good field for me to be in. But um, mechanical engineering, the first two years were just pure abstract math, mm. which is not visual at all. The, the, the professor would stand at the blackboard. Back then, you, you had blackboards, not marker boards. <laughs> And he would write out a formula as long as the blackboard was. And he says, well, obviously, as you can see, this represents whatever X, Y, Z motion. And I was just sitting there and going like, what? <laughs> I mean, he might as well have lectured in Chinese. There was just no way. I, I just couldn't. 
there was no way for me to grasp it wasn't that. Wasn't tangible, right? No, not not at all. I have to, I have to see something, you know. I have to see it to understand it, and and for me that was just not working. So, I had the 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 grim task of telling my father that I was uh, gonna switch my uh, switch over to architecture, which didn't make him very happy. You, you, you mentioned one time uh, to me, due to annoying prodding uh, on my behalf, <laughs> that, uh, that a guy named Oppenheimer uh, one time came to dinner at your parents' house. Uh, yes, supposedly that is true. <laughs> so let me, let me preface this story because my mother said, oh yeah, he was, he was at our house for dinner and it was a, a really specific evening. I was obviously very small at the time. Uh, I was probably about four years old, so that was about 1963. And um, it, it isn't, my mother said he was, he was one of the guests at that particular dinner. But my mother was also prone to hyperboles, so <laughs> so it, there's no guarantee. But there is a good chance that my father ran into Oppenheimer over over the over his career because he, my father came to the United States in 1947, right after the war, and he worked in Princeton for a for a company that had Navy contracts, and Oppenheimer was in Princeton then. Uh, Einstein, in, on occasion, was in, in Princeton at that point, so it is entirely possible. My father also had, had many friends that were physicists that worked in Los Alamos, you know, on the, on, the, on, the, on the big bomb. Well, the gadget, as they called the it back then. <laughs> yes. I, 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 when you told me that, uh, I was thinking about, uh, about uh, what... Uh, Oppenheimer, I, I haven't seen the movie, and, and I, I've told about parts of the book, but I haven't read it. But it, it strikes me that he wasn't exactly a social butterfly. So for him to go out and, and meet people. So that's what struck me about the look, looking at your father's uh, patent application. And, and, and as you heard me stumble through it in the past, so I'll do it again. Uh, in such a gas turbine plant, helium is used in working is used as working medium, for example, which is found uh, particularly favorable in uh, connection with gas-cooled atomic nuclear reactors. And that struck me as that's, that's feasible, that he would be interested in your father's work for applications um, that, that he was working on at the time. Yes, and also Oppenheim, you know, Oppenheimer was in Switzerland uh, quite a few times he had very good friends at the at the at the ETH, the, the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. Um, so so I, I I did read the book, American Prometheus, um, and it talks about his friend at the ETH, the school where my father taught. Obviously, that was before my father was teaching there. So, um, by experience, by education, by training, and by reputation, uh, I will tell all of you listening, Peter is an outstanding architect. Uh, I've admired his work for some time. In fact, that's how I first met you. Um, I asked you to design a house for me on the vineyard, and you did, and it was brilliant. Um, 
And then happily, as so often happens at the tasting room, you find out that virtually every person you meet is fun to talk to and get to know and learn from. And, and Peter, you're one of those people. Well, so thank you. thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for the kind words. <laughs> you grew up in, in Zurich. Um, so, so the first question has to be, how did a nice kid from Zurich wind up practicing architecture in the Sierra foothills? Was it the uh, call of the high mountains here? Uh, not at all, actually. Um, when I came here, um, so I have, I have a sister that already lived in California. So I, I had graduated in, in Switzerland uh, and, and worked there for a while, for a short while. And it was raining nonstop for it must have been like three months straight and I was really tired and I figured California sounds good you know everybody lives on the beach <laughs> yeah right. and it's always sunny <laughs> so I'll, I will go to California and I was really attracted to working in San Francisco but and, and I actually tried to find a job in San Francisco I went literally door to door oh, wow. from one architect to the next but you know I you know, first of all, I came from Switzerland, so I was used to metric, you know, working everything in metric. And then, obviously, I didn't have a license. A license. I didn't even know that it required. In Switzerland, when you graduate from my school, you are, by, by that degree, you are an architect. It, it's only one of two ways how you can, can become an architect in Switzerland. But here, you needed a, a license, so I didn't know that. So... In '87 was it was a tough, tough market uh, back back then, and my English was probably not quite as up to par. You know, it's 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 slightly better now. <laughs> um, and so I could I couldn't find a job. So I uh, I was staying uh, with a friend in in Sacramento, and I picked up a newspaper, and there was an ad in there. And at, at that point, I was running short on money, so it was either go back to Switzerland or, you know, find just a job to to support myself. And I saw an ad in the paper for from Murray and Downs, and it said, you know, they were looking for somebody. And I uh, I applied for it, and Charlie invited me in. Charlie Downs, that is, invited me in for an interview, and. I got the job. I figured I'll take that job and I'll I'll, I'll find a better job. <laughs> but you know, it, it was just you know, it was a small architectural firm back then. There was there was, I think there was eight people there. Um, they they had just purchased the first uh, couple of computers, and I was interested in learning how to to learn to draw on the computer and. So so it it worked out really good. And then Charlie, you know. I worked closely with Charlie, the principal of the firm, doing a lot of the design work, and then it just—it it was nice. They had a lot of work, and it was good work, and I learned a lot um, from Charlie Downs, and so I just kind of stayed. <laughs> um, there, you had mentioned uh, your mother was prone to a bit of hyperbole. <laughs> uh, with that in mind, um, there was also a connection with Einstein in your early childhood uh, in that uh, what well so so i know my father had run run in ran into einstein uh in in princeton that 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 i know from my father my father wasn't 
never exaggerated really. Um, so I, I know he, he I, I didn't, I wouldn't say he knew him or they were friends, but I know he, he saw him there. Um, he, he was commenting on his lack of hygiene, <laughs> of all things. But um, my mother claimed that she cleaned, she cleaned, she cleaned his house. Uh, um, she, my mother came, my, my parents met in the United States, although they were both Swiss, but they came independently from each other to the United States. My mother was an au pair girl. My father came here because he found, he had that job uh, um, for that company that had the Navy contracts. So, so my mother on the side cleaned houses to, to, to earn some extra money and one of the houses that she cleaned was was Einstein's. Did Einstein didn't live there anymore. Though. I looked. At, I, I I actually tried to verify that timeline. He still had the house, but 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 he didn't he didn't live there anymore. Well, that that just that just torpedoes my next question. I was <laughs> I was hoping I, I she would have commented on what a slob he was, uh, but apparently not. So. <laughs> Well, my father did that. <laughs> that, that? Was, that apparently was true. Oh, but he had more important things to think about than yeah. whether or not to take a shower or not. <laughs> so, so you mentioned earlier uh, about uh, being visual and and uh, um, and and uh, mathematics, mathematical formulas. Uh, no, no matter how long, uh, didn't appeal to you. So, so. What in particular drew you to architecture? You could have gone a number of ways uh, in the visual arts or, or almost any any uh, uh, direction. Why architecture? Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> so that's a, that's an interesting question. So I was, I was really afraid to tell my father I was going to switch out of mechanical engineering. So in, in, in Zurich, there's two schools. There's the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, and there's the university. University is all uh, for, is for medicine and law. Uh, those kinds of subjects are taught at the university. But uh, the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, ETH as we call it, um, we'd, say, we'd say ETH. ETH. Uh, e yeah, ETH. Yeah, Sorry, I say it in Swiss. No, German no, no, no. no you, I'm not, not going to change the name of the <laughs> I'm not going to go into what that means, but um, that's that's for all the more the the, the sciences. Uh, that's for you know physics, engineering, and and architecture. So, my father hated the university because he was a professor at the ETH. So, so there was some kind of a, there was a bit of a rivalry between the two schools. So, there was no way I could have switched over to the university. I mean, I, I would have did him, did my father in. So, I had to find something that was visual, but was still kind of in line with with, with engineering. So, I figured architecture is it. You know, architecture that sounds that sounds interesting. So that's that's how I ended up in architecture. It, so it was not like a lifelong passion or anything. I, I I grew to I grew to love architecture, I have to say, but it was not love at first sight. But <laughs> but it saved you from being disowned on the spot. Probably. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So so uh, who are some of the great architects uh, who you've admired and influenced you? 
um, uh, over over time. Um, Le Corbusier, Mies uh, Bandero, who 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 of that, and 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 those are just a couple of the giants. Uh, there's so many. Right. So that era was very it was kind of brutalist architecture um so i you know although you know we studied them all in school obviously but i was more of uh when i went to school when i started architecture school it was the postmodern architecture era so um so some of the they, they, they called them the new york five i think they called them uh, some of those architects uh, I admired, like Richard Meyer, who, who did the Getty in down in, in Los Angeles, one of his more famous projects. But he did he did a lot of great work. So he was, I, I really admired his his, uh, his architecture. But then later, um, wh when I went to school, one of the assistants in my studios was uh, Santiago Calatrava who is a, a very, very famous architect now. Uh, he, did, uh, he did some work at, uh, at Ground Zero in, in, I, I, in, in I New York. Saw, I, I, I saw his he, building. He, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was stunning. Very, uh, it's, it's very skeletal. Yes. It looks like, a, like, looks like a skeleton. Looks like an interior of a church. Right. Right, he he did uh, he studied architecture in Spain. He was a, um, and then he came to to Switzerland, to to my school. I call it my school because I went there, but um, because he wanted to study engineering, because there was a there was a, a professor at the engineering school who had developed a, a different way of constructing bridges, and he wanted to study under him, and so so. While he was studying, he was uh, an assistant in some of my studios. So I always admired, and then he became famous very, very quickly. So I always admired him greatly for his work. It's very unique, and it'll never go out of style, I think. You went through a period of time, as you said, the, uh, the particular area, the particular time you came through uh, as an architect, uh, influenced you. We're going through a different time now. We see buildings in, in Dubai that go up forever. Um, what's, what, where are we going with architecture these days? Uh, well, I think, <coughs> I, I, I think, well, they have this, this city they're building you know, in, in Saudi Arabia, you know, that's, I don't know how long. It's just a, a very narrow, long building. Mm. And I think some of the architecture we see nowadays is just they do it because just because it can be done. Mm -hmm. Now I, I question sometimes what if it's if it's functional, you know what 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 is what is really the purpose of it? Just because we can do something doesn't necessarily mean we should do it. Right. So so if 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 one goes back uh, uh, to the Middle Ages. Uh, our, there were the master builders. They did everything. Right. They they designed it. Uh, they built it. Mm -hmm. um, and then over time, uh, I don't know if the lawyers caused this to happen. Uh, probably, but um, over time, then there was a separation between building uh, and and the architectural process. Uh, two separate uh, uh, endeavors. And 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 then uh, w more recently, we've gotten back to design build. Uh, it, and it's confusing to me 
uh, exactly who's doing what for what reason. Well, design build is still kind of the, the, the way we've always done it. You have a, usually have a, an architecture that's part of the team that will prepare the construction documents and then you have a builder associated in that, with that group and then they, they will build it. In, um, in school construction where I spent most, most of my career was, was designing school buildings um, uh, be, because it's publicly funded, you have to always select a low bidder, <laughs> which is not always the builder you want. Um, so you only have two options when you when you solicit bids. You have to either accept the lowest bid or you have to reject all bids. So a lot of the, the newer, at least in school construction, the newer uh, delivery methods, as we call them, were created to get around selecting the low bidder and, and selecting selecting the contract you think is best to do the, the project. Uh, you know, in, uh, in other... Uh, other buildings, you know, the other building types, you know, I'm not sure. It, it, there's, but the, you know, there's the delivery methods. There's there's benefits and there's negative points to all to all of them. It's it always depends on who you who your team is in the end. You know how good the team is and how good they work together. It's nice to have a, a designer on board early on, even for the architect, because. You know, I can say, hey, look, I'm thinking about doing this, and this is how I think it should be done. And then the builder will say, you know, have you considered doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and it, can, it can be very successful and, and, and very beneficial to the owner. AutoCAD uh, drafting software has been around for quite some time. Um, do you agree it took out some of the drudgery of, of uh, being an architect? So, so... <laughs> when when we first started doing doing computer design, you know, drafting everything on the computer, we thought, oh, this is great, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, that'll free up so much of my time because I don't have to redraw everything over and over and over again. But what actually happened is, it, it's quite the opposite. We we do so much more drafting now so much more detail goes into the plans than we used to do. I mean, when we, when I, I, I did some residential work, if you, I used to be able to do a house with, you know, six, seven sheets of drawings. And I think the last house I did had like, probably yours had over, had over 70 sheets. It was so, impressive. Yeah. Well, and, and it's just, we, we just work that much harder. So I don't think, you know, there's there's a lot of advantages. By the way, nobody, hardly anybody uses. I'm still using AutoCAD, but hardly anybody uses AutoCAD anymore. Nowadays, they use a program called Revit. Well, I was going to mention Revit. Uh, Autodesk uh, uh, is is the uh, company that has Revit, and and but that's prior. That's that's uh, primarily for making updates, uh, uh, not. And, and so you don't have to chase the changes through the through the drawings. Is that right? Well, so so AutoCAD is kind of just a computer way of standard drafting how we did it by hand, how we used to do it by hand. Where Revit is a model based design, so everything is three dimensional. So you're building, 
you're actually building a building from the ground up in three dimensions. So, so that the advantage to that is then, of course, if I get mechanical drawings and, and structural drawings, they're all in Revit too, and you can import it all, and you have it all in one model. Yeah. So if you have a big giant steel beam running through the building and the mechanical engineer has a big duct, you know, that runs well, right through that, <laughs> runs right through that steel beam, you know, I, I, I can see that. For complex projects, it's definitely advantageous mm. to use Revit. I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I've used AutoCAD for so long and I'm so used to using AutoCAD that I can do it and I can draft in my sleep. So mm -hmm. I've, I, and, and it's a completely different process to put a project together in Revit. And, and I have a copy of Revit on my computer, but honestly... Well, that, um, that, too, in, that in itself too uh, old. is, is, is <laughs> quite good. Now, I, I, I don't want to go too far in the weeds on, on, the, on the various programs that exist, but there are a number of uh, SketchUp for concept, concept uh, explorations mm -hmm. and, and, and modeling. Um, there's a rendering software such as Enscape uh, for 2D and 3D uh, imagery, and, and, and the list goes on uh, for software, including animation and, and uh, builder information modeling, uh, floor planner, all of that stuff. So where is is now we got now we got AI, artificial right. intelligence. Is the architect a, a, a dodo bird who is going away? It's all going to be done by computer. I, I don't believe that. It, it, it's to be seen, I suppose. Mm. But, you know, there's a lot of interesting things going on. It, it have been going on for a while where, um, where you, have, you have virtual reality now. So you can, you can do a building and you can put a headset on the client and say, you know, he can walk through, through his mm. building. So that, that's interesting. You know, it's definitely constantly changing. You know, it's it's a bit hard when you get older, <laughs> like me. You know, to keep up, uh, to keep up with all that. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, it's definitely interesting. Some interesting things out there. Peter, what's the relationship uh, between the various actors in the process, uh, such as uh, government, um, public policy, public policy being environmental, social policy, uh, densification, for example, is, a, is, is I, I know from someone I know that it's, a, it's an issue in Switzerland uh, that housing uh, neighborhoods are being torn up and apartment buildings going up for that particular reason. City planners, um, contractors, engineers, architects. Seems to me it's getting awfully complicated. Well, yeah, it's 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 it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, but how how are these? Are, are, in your experience, are, are are people are people learning to work as team members towards problems solving problems? Uh, is there is there a, a, a friction? Is it is it is it going well? Could it go better? What's what's how's it look to you? Um, to to me. I, it depends on what jurisdiction you're in. I mean, I've seen a lot of misguided. Um, short-term, you know, planning being done in this country. Mm -hmm. um, um, when you're building thousands of homes next to, uh, you know, a, a two-lane freeway, you know, I, I, I question whether or not 
that's appropriate. Should should the freeway maybe be made wider before you put up all these homes? But it's always a question of, you know, revenue now, you know. The guy that's sitting in office saying, hey, look at all the money I made for, for, for you. And that's what I think, you know. Maybe I'm just a little bit tainted, but, but that, that's what I see. I see all those homes going up, and I see a freeway that's going to turn into a parking lot. You know, before you know it, we're going to be L.A. Yeah, I mean, look at what they're doing in Folsom and L.A. Exactly, right exactly. And, and it's just short-term short thinking, you know. So what, what lessons have you learned from being an architect? And, and by lessons, I mean uh, life lessons, not, not architectural lessons. Well, you know, the, the one thing I learned that has to do with design um, is, is and, and it translates into, into life, is we always start everything with preconceived notions. You know, we have, we already made up our mind how things are supposed to be based on how they are right now. And I always found in architecture, it's better to sometimes just throw it all out. Don't think anything is given. You know, you can, you can, Imagine, imagine what you really want to design, how you really want something to function, and start there, and then back it into what's already there. I don't know if I'm explaining that correctly. Well, it sounds, it sounds vaguely familiar uh, 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 with the uh, aphorism, form follow, follows function, so. Well, it's just, let, let, I, I was, I give you an example. Yeah. I, was wor I was working on an, a, on an expansion of the library at El Dorado High School, and 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 they had a they had a an auditorium next to the library, and they wanted to incorporate that because the library was too small, and I couldn't find a solution because the entrance was where it was, and I just subconsciously just got fixed on the idea that the entrance had to be there. And I couldn't find a solution till one day I finally said, I threw it all out and said, who says the entrance has to be there? And then it all worked out. But life is like that too. Sometimes we think, we, we, we narrow our possibilities because we have all these preconceived notions rather than to just throw it all out and say what, what you want it to be. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then start from there. Peter, what kind of projects do you like to work on best? Well, as I said, I, I spent most of my career working on school projects, so that's where, where my comfort level is. Um, I, I love doing school projects. I think they're worthwhile, too, you know, because you can, you know, uh, you can give the teachers what, what, they, what they need to, mm -hmm. to do their job, and I think it's an important job. I, I around the vineyard, uh, I frequently uh, enjoy uh, sweeping a floor, uh, wheeling a wheelbarrow, and uh, mowing a lawn, although I do that less and less as time goes by because Nick has been so wonderful <laughs> and, and, and backstopping me. But there's a certain pleasure to stand back and say, I painted that wall, or I, I swept that floor. It looks pretty good. I think I'll have a glass of wine now and celebrate. <laughs> so that kind of joy, uh, a payoff from doing that. Um, and that's that, that comes from... That comes from uh, what I heard was, yes, uh, I did my job as an architect, but I benefited somebody. 
and and perhaps right. we'll make that better for some other mm-hmm. some other people too. It's also nice that you know you know <clears throat> long after I'm gone there will be there will be some buildings standing around you know that that I've designed, you know, so I left a little bit of a footprint. <laughs> and maybe that's an ego thing, you know, but, well, and, but, but it's still nice, you know, that you left something behind, you, you, you know. You didn't say that you, you were hoping for a Peter Berkhold monument in, uh, no. in downtown, <laughs> downtown Certainly Sacramento. Certainly not. Um, so uh, sometimes I was referred to as David Gerard. The lawyer, and I always resented that. Uh, I thought, okay, that's my job. That's not who I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, when being Peter Berkhold, the person, rather than Peter Berkhold, the architect, I would just spend your time. What do you want to do, apart from being an architect? That's a tricky question. That's a tricky I was, question. I was hoping I would, so. I would, uh, I, you know, like many people, I would love to write a book someday. someday. You know, that's that to me. It appeals to me. What would it be about? Well, I have lots of different ideas, but mm-hmm. it'd be it'd be fiction, how, you know, how, obviously. No, no. How about this? When you write your book, we have you back to talk about the book. That'd be great. All right. It's good. a lot. I, I, it's a lot harder than than it looks, though. <laughs> well, with that in mind, it's about the time to close up shop. Uh, so. Um, uh, don't forget to text or email us any questions you may have. Um, we have shifted, if you'll notice, to interviews, uh, which um, we thought was uh, good for a number of reasons. One is is the people we interview, such as you, Peter, and, and thank you, and so many uh, other wonderful people uh, uh, trying to get the staff together uh, to do a podcast a week has been very difficult. But the interview process and, and with Nick, uh, and me double teaming it, it it seems to work out so um, that's how that's how we're, we're we've proceeded um, our next uh, somewhat about wine podcast will be on the last uh, Friday of January uh, 2024 uh, and we'll start the new year with that mm-hmm. Nick uh, Nick would you mind telling our listeners where they can find out more about our wines online and visit us at the winery sure yeah uh, website <coughs> is davidgerardvineyards.com uh, we're on Instagram under David Gerard Winery uh, we're on Facebook or give us a call 530-295-1833 we're open for tastings Friday through Sunday from 11am till 5pm uh, we'd love to have any of you in the area or from out of the area to, uh, to drop by and come join us if you want more of a bit of a flavor of what we are about, you can also check out my audiobook, Somewhat About Wine, on Audible, and look for what we call our paper blog, available on our website. Um, it consists of mindless musings, uh, not totally different from what we do here on a daily basis. Uh, I again want to thank uh, Peter Burkhold. Thank you, Peter. This has been a great pleasure. Well, thank you. Uh, thanks for being with us today. I hope to see you next time. Thank you for listening. Until then.